Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Rebecca Young. She has an absolutely amazing story to share with you on how she first, I guess, went through school and became a data scientist and then got into real estate investing kind of actually at the same time. So both stories kind of progress simultaneously, but we get into her career, but then also her real estate inv investing, how she got started, her house hacking experience, how she kind of went on to do multi-unit investing properties and dealing with private money. It's just a fantastic story. Someone who you can tell is completely unstoppable. And that's Rebecca. She builds momentum in her life and keeps it going. So just fantastic story. I love being able to share stories like this with other local Canadian real estate investors. So thank you, Rebecca for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. And at the end, we'll hand out a website where you can reach out and learn more about what Rebecca is up to. And if you are listening to this and you haven't done a deep dive on the population explosion that is happening right here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area, actually right across Canada, but it's really exploding in this particular area. We put together a population explosion report a few years ago to talk about this because we felt it was massively underreported. Now it's getting a little bit of traction, but we've updated our own report. It's it's the 2022 population explosion report full of data around immigration and foreign students and interprovincial migration. So you can see all the trends around population. You can get a free copy of that report at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we I'm are excited. We are live with Rebecca Young and Nicholas Alexander Caradza. And um, <laughs> Rebecca, when did you uh, when did you become a Rockstar member? Was it uh, back in 2014? Oh, that long ago. Yep. Holy smokes! And and you were just talking about your YouTube channel back when we should have known everyone's name. Yeah, 2014. No, I already stopped for remembering everyone's name by 2014 for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, the YouTube channel. When did you start the YouTube channel? Uh, right at the beginning of COVID, actually. So um, I think as soon as the lockdown was hit, <clears throat> uh, we actually, so another kind of group of mine, so with JD and Wendy, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is going. Um, That's your glass of water oh, right there. Oh, it's mine. Oh, wow, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I've got a coffee and water. You yeah. guys are so yeah, hospitable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not you guys, it was just Tom, yeah. actually. Oh, for the record, I didn't, I didn't do me. anything. Yeah, <laughs> it was me. <laughs> I was busy running around. I think I almost ignored you completely when you came in because there was something going on. So. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, Rebecca walked right in while we were just battling a few little fires. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we greeted Another you. smooth day at the yeah, Rockstar yeah, office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Rebecca's here for a scheduled podcast? Oh, yeah. We're good to go. No, I appreciate that. But for the record, you guys are incredibly hospitable. And there's always folks to talk to here. So I've been well taken care of. Um, but yeah, so basically what had happened was as soon as the lockdown hit, and I honestly, I think I was also a little bit nervous because, you know, I, okay, if I could back up just a moment, it was actually kind of funny how my fiance, I joke that he predicted COVID because uh, for me, I've really focused on minimizing our expenses over the years. And then I you might have to come a little bit closer to the mic and oh, I'll work sorry. out a little better. Give it a try. I might do that if that's okay. Cause then I can yeah. still look at you guys. Is that better? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. great. Um, so it was kind of funny because I've, I've always focused on having cash flow in the properties and then 
then, you know, I always had three months of expenses and I figured like that's covered me in all of my, all of my situations in the last 10 years I've been investing now. Um, but he mentioned to me, you know, what if there's a situation, cause he's very risk averse. And so we're very complimentary from that standpoint. And he said, what if there's a situation where we don't have rent? And I literally laughed at him. I was like, that's not going to happen. Like, that's not going to happen across our entire portfolio. And like the other properties are going to support any losses that we have. Yeah. What are the chances that everyone will be locked out of their jobs and be asked to stay at home? Yeah. Yeah. It's It's never going to happen. I will tell you, you have an economics degree or background in economics degree. I have an economics degree. You should listen to me. That's just not happening. (laughs) I can see how that conversation went down. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Um, But, you know, thankfully we've always had good conversations, but it was funny because that was literally the fall of 2019. Wow. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. So six months later, like, oh, yeah. um, maybe let's rehash this conversation a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was a little bit nervous. And then I started digging into, you know, actually, funny enough, um, the day that the lockdown was announced was the the day that you guys had the um, the VIP event. And I actually went to go and see some properties in Welland that day and then drove up to the conference for you guys. And uh, it was so crazy because we found I found like the perfect burn. I was so excited about it, but it was the day that it was announced that we were going to lockdown. I was like, oh my God, okay, this is real. And then, so I started researching a little bit more for myself to figure out like, how do I respond to this now? And, uh, and I was a little bit nervous about the prices, but then I just, I, I kind of took a moment, I hit pause and I just reflected on, you know, all the same fundamentals that you guys have talked about. And I've always really appreciated your economic updates because you're right. And as much as you say, I'm not an economist, this is just what I'm seeing. I'm like, no, like you're right. Like the theory that they taught us in school, this is being applied here. And in terms of, you know, the interest rates rising or watching for deflation and inflation in the market to try to understand what's going to happen with the prices or the immigration as well, right? And I just realized that, you know, if this is kind of hitting pause, and I think there were maybe, you know, maybe it was about a month um, that we had some, uh, like there was less activity and it seemed to be deflating prices a bit. Um, and then especially in the Toronto condo market, they really they really dip for a bit there, they softened. But I realized that those were actually buying opportunities because all the same fundamentals were still there. So JD and Wendy uh, saying they had invited me to their G-Hub to do a presentation on this. And I recorded the presentation and I threw it up on YouTube and I, I think it got like four or 500 views on the video. So I just realized, wow, you know, like everyone's really worried about this and this would be really helpful for people. And uh, so I, I wanted to create my own channel to start to teach people, you know, um, my lessons learned and how I've been successful with real estate investing. And that's, yeah. And now it's awesome. just over 300 subscribers. Yeah, so I'm pretty uh, happy awesome. about that. It, it's those times, like to take your to take the emotion out of that time and I, you're you you know you you even you're a very logical thinker right with background in economics and i think uh did some tech tech things in the past you know so yeah. it seems like you're a very logical thinker you know you can remove emotion from stuff during those times it's a very uh valuable asset because we saw so many people like i mean i'm talking within like three four days like no one knew what was going on yet and they're like panic oh my god this is no one's Hit ever the gonna panic rent. like this is you know like like the whole world's coming to them we're just kind of okay like let's wait a little like to your point like take yeah. a step back let's see what's really changed and then maybe maybe that would have happened like now it's you know it's easy for us to say oh yeah look that didn't happen but but even at the time it was like hey let's just you know the the, the real estate market isn't going to change in three days right yeah. so let's just kind of take a step back and just see where the kind of chips fall it would i guess it would change just three days if the bank said they're just stopping mortgages but we together, also right? learned i mean when april 1st hit everybody was panicked about rents 100%. everyone yeah. and then when the rent started coming in we all realized oh people really do value a roof over their head and yeah. shelter is a need and people are going to cut out other things if 
if they need to, but they're going to pay their rent because then May 1st well, not hit. Not if they need to. They weren't able to do anything else. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. But then May 1st hit and it was even, I think, even stronger than April 1st, which was like incredible. Well, so then I think that's when that all kind of went away. I'm, I'm curious. Did you buy that property that you went to see that day in the end? No, actually. Okay. <clears throat> um, my I talked about it with my fiance and I think because... I, I really brought him into real estate investing, so I think he was a little more nervous about it. Um, so, and for me, my relationship was more important than being right. Yeah, I was going to say, that'd be an aggressive time <laughs> to be buying that uh, property. But, um, okay, so let's back up a little bit. How did you, how does this journey begin for you? You go to school, you yeah. grew up here in the Toronto <clears throat> area. Um, I actually... I moved around a bit. Um, I was born in Hamilton. I grew up mostly in Burlington, so I kind of consider myself as being from Burlington. Um, it's kind of the, going back a little bit, I was actually on my own as a teenager. I put myself through school. So as you can imagine, I didn't I didn't have any money when I first started. I actually worked three jobs to put myself through school. Um, I became a bit of a workaholic and I, I was very frugal. You know, I'd meet up with friends, we'd meet up at Tim Hortons or something and I'd be like, dollar fifty for coffee. Do I really need to spend that? Um, thankfully I'm better wow. now. But uh, and by the way, really appreciate the free coffee. You yeah. know? <laughs> oh, that wasn't free. We didn't just, you just didn't get the invoice for that thing yet. That's when you leave. We slap you with the invoice on the way out. Nice, nice. That's a twelve dollar Nespresso right there that you're drinking. Oh geez, inflation rates yeah. are really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um but yeah, so and it was kind of a it was funny because I guess it was my third year of university. I was looking for a new place to live. And I looked at this apartment in, um, in like around Center Mall, in, uh, you know, just off of Barton and Hamilton. At the time, it really wasn't a good area. Um, I didn't really have much of a budget that I was working with, to be honest, because I was still trying to keep the money down. Um, I did, however, at that point, manage to save up about $26,000, um, which I, in my mind, I, you know, obviously didn't want to put into spending. So in my mind, two different accounts out of, like, out of, mine basically. Um, but the point being is that I came across this apartment and it was interesting because they told me what their rent was, but they also mentioned to me that uh, it was for sale and that it was for sale for 60,000. And I, I, like I said, it's, it wasn't a good area, but it kind of got me thinking that I was like, Hey, you know, I've, I, if I keep saving like this, I could get to that point of being able to purchase that. Um, and then at the time I'd actually, I met my, my boyfriend, um, and he had a similar mindset. And basically, I guess his grandfather from England had invested in real estate. So there was someone else who kind of had this idea of like, hey, you know, yeah, we should be looking to buy real estate. And so we had actually decided to invest together and we purchased the place um, in December of 2011. And then um, the idea at the time was to basically for me to live there and rent to all the other rooms in the house because I was moving from a student house into an apartment. Uh, that was a plan at the time. Um, it financially just made a lot more sense. And I kind of like, I just, I guess for me, I've always looked at different experiences in my life and taken all this into account in terms of how I'm going to move forward with my own ideas. And so I looked at, you know, my first student house, for example, the family had put two sons through medical school. And so, you know, you're kind of, and you're doing the math in terms of what I was paying for rent and what they must be getting from the house and looking at what the properties are worth. And I'm like, this makes more sense. I can live for free. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's why, how we looked at student rentals. <laughs> yeah. And, and at the time, like for me, it was just, I could live for free. Right. So that's what I was really focused on, but I had no idea how I could get that property. Um, I, I didn't have anyone to ask within my family, to be honest, um, so I ended up just going to a bunch of different banks. At this point, you had, you, you had graduated 
You were nope, done. I was still oh, a student. Okay. Oh, I was you were still a student. Sorry. <laughs> okay, got it. What school was this? McMaster. It was McMaster. Okay. Yep. Um, so basically, I just went to a couple different mortgage brokers, got the pre-approval, and I only had a pre-approval for I think one forty. <laughs> so I was like, well, that's better than you're you know. laughing now. But I mean, one forty. There was a well, you, the property was sixty grand. Yeah. Well, that that property, that property I ended up yeah, a different yeah. one, yeah, because the the ones I was looking at around McMaster were like three hundred. Mm. So I thought, wow, that's not going to happen. Um, and then so I was trying to look at different options, other parts of town. There were still some places that we could get for about one twenty, but they were just not great areas. And uh, it was also kind of a funny story because I was also volunteering with the Hamilton Police Service at the time. Um, obviously, I just don't have enough time on my hands, right? Like I just don't that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, yeah. I apparently, I just yeah. I did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went to a lot of bars when yeah. I was in school. I mean, I think I was good at that. I'm making up for lost time now. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. um, but so I went to the records department that day, and there was this woman. I think her name was Trish, and it's kind of funny because both of us seemed to have like dark clouds over our heads that day. And then um, when she started to open up, it was because she was trying to sell her house and she wasn't having a lot of luck with it. And it happened to be in Stony Creek across from the Mohawk Star Campus. And so she was talking about how students still rent there because there is a campus there that no one thinks about. And I was like, oh. So then I looked up her listing and it was still too expensive because she still wanted 300, but there was one across the street for 251. And I was like, well, I wonder if I could still make this work, you know, because they weren't they weren't counting a lot of my income because I was a teaching assistant, a research assistant. So all that kind of income was contract based and they wouldn't take it. Um, but I managed to find a mortgage broker who would accept it. And then I placed the offer on the property, got it. And then what had happened was um, just crazy how much of a roller coaster this was. A month before closing on the property, we were just completely ghosted by this person at TD. She just basically said, I'm really sorry, we can't do it. Um, sorry. And that was it. And uh, I was like, wow, okay. Um, and, you know, for me, that would have been all my savings, and especially coming from a place where I had nothing and scrounged every dollar that I had to save to that point. I thought, wow, okay, this is bad. <laughs> Um, so then at the same point, I just kind of felt I'm not, I can't let this go. So I ended up finding a mobile mortgage broker from RBC who was able to put the deal together through a first, a second mortgage and a heat, like a line of credit. So, which was mind boggling to me because I was like, well, okay, so you guys can't approve me at the lower yeah. rate for this mortgage, but you're going to give me higher interest rates and like more mortgage yeah. basically. Yeah, to, it doesn't make it logically. It makes no sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it worked out great actually because, you know, it was hard, but uh, we got possession of the property. We were able to rent out the basement right away. We ended up moving in together. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a cash cow, but it still covered the majority of our expenses. And then the year later, because of the just fixing up the property and then, uh, you know, the, the market appreciation, I ended up bringing it over to a different lender for a much better rate. And I realized that, wow, that's kind of a burr. And that, that kind of set me up for the rest of my real estate investing career. So even though it was very tricky at the time, and I, and I, you know, I share this story, I know the numbers are different, but I wanted to share this with your, uh, with your listeners because I, you know, it's still, you can find a way, right? And a lot of people just, uh, they start to explore it. And if it's not going to work out perfect, they just kind of give up and put it to the side and for me I just kind of made up my mind that I was going to do this and you know like you know I mentioned my career in tech um, in my nine-to-five I, I am a data scientist and um, I you know coming from a background my degree is technically in economics and a minor in finance but I learned to code because I was doing economics research I didn't you know I was working with software engineers <laughs> so I didn't really feel like I belonged there either but I had to learn everything on my own to be able to be successful in, in that line of work as well so I kind of just applied the same thinking to real estate and you know, it's not getting any easier. So there's always gonna be challenges, but you, there's always a 
way around it as well. You just have to put in the time and, you know, work with the right people and you, you get there. Yeah. For you to get hit with that obstacle early on and push through is probably the best thing that could ever happen to you because yeah. sometimes we meet investors who will help them out with a couple properties that go really smoothly. And that does not happen all the time, but the, yeah. sometimes everything just goes perfectly. And even we're looking around like, wow, that was a little too easy. Yeah. And then yeah. they might get, get ready their, for the next yeah, one. Then they might get their <laughs> third property and they have a mortgage problem. The lawyer's yeah. late on closing. The documents don't get set over. The bank's late with the wire. And then maybe they get the property and they don't find a tenant like on the first week. It takes yep. a, an incredible six weeks, but the other two properties, they found a tenant in the first week. And so five weeks in, they're panicking that, you know, the market's saturated. We've heard that many times, right? Like, oh my gosh, there's the, no more the houses. This house is no good. The house no is one wants no good. House. The market's yeah. saturated and, you know, they kind of panic because they've had those two like perfect experiences. Now the yep. third one puts them into like an extended period of excessive panic where you kind of just had that right out of the gates and it's probably served you well because right out of the gates, someone ghosted you and said, Hey, listen, you're not getting the money and you've had to scramble. It's the probably just, yeah, the best thing that could have ever happened. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, and, and honestly, every single property wasn't smooth. Um, actually, ironically, the one that I just closed on, I just closed on an Aplex in December. That's included in the 41 units. But um, it was so funny because the financing was so easy. And it was suspicious. I was like, yeah, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. You're going to give me this money? <laughs> yeah, but it came back because uh, it was supposed to close on November 30th. And then the sellers couldn't close. So it didn't close until December 15th. I'm like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the curveball. <laughs> so yeah, so walk us through that a little bit. You get that first property. And then what do you do after that? We don't have to go through everything. But what, what yeah. do you want to share? How does that how does that kind of extrapolate out to your portfolio today yeah so basically um, being able to pull because we realized that we could pull money out of the property and the refinance so at the time um, this was an ex-boyfriend you know spoiler alert but um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for the journey that we took together because we both learned a lot so I still appreciate that um, so we ended up taking money out to and he ended up coming across some money kind of I guess unexpectedly, it was some inheritance that he put into the second one. Um, my dad actually, um, he's in IT as well, but he did a lot of flooring and contract work. So I helped him when I was a, when I was younger, and I did a lot of the the contract work for our properties in terms of like flooring and you know framing, drywalling, mudding, painting. Obviously, no electrical or plumbing. I'm not you know I have a death wish, yeah. <laughs> or want to flood my house. Um, but so because of we ended up doing that for the second property, and then that was around the time that we met JD and. Wendy. And then uh, it was really nice because JD was actually a manager for him at the time. So there was a lot of trust there. There was almost like some authority. They became really good friends and they'd introduced us to Rockstar and uh, they became kind of mentors for me as well. So that was really helpful. And then from there, we just kind of, you know, rinse and repeat. And, uh, and to be honest, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but uh, we ended up getting married because I kind of thought like, you know, this is the person that I'm going to build this real estate empire with. And it kind of made sense in my younger mind. We we did have uh, some um, differences in personality that clashed over time. And uh, especially as I just found as my career was taking off in tech, it made things kind of complicated. So the reason why I bring this up is because we ended up together being able to build up a portfolio of five properties. Awesome. And then, which was awesome, but then unfortunately went through a divorce and- Not um, so awesome. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a little it, bit more complicated, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it, it wasn't good to be honest. So it took about two and a half years. Uh, it was really unfortunate. I think that the worst part was just wasting the money on the lawyers because we still built something really cool together, right? Um, so I mention it to people because I basically had to start over. I, I, you know, I think we 
basically in 2017 was when we started the divorce. Um, and I didn't do anything until 2019. And I, I had to completely reset my life in terms of what I wanted for a partner moving forward. Um, and you know, that was the most important to me because I, at that point I was really jaded to be honest and kind of felt that if I can't find somebody to be able to do this with, I'm just going to do it on my own, but I would rather know up front so I can protect myself. And, uh, this really wild thing happened where I went on this little trip. Um, like I, I joked that it was like my mini eat, pray, love trip in 2017 that, um, you know, I just never traveled by myself. I never had the opportunity as a kid. And then when I was with my ex, we did everything together. So I went to different places within, um, France and Italy and that's actually where I met Paul. So um, we actually used to work together at IBM, which was kind of funny, but it was always you know professional and platonic. But he was in Slovenia visiting some old friends, and then I was traveling you know a whole bunch of cities within France and Italy, and we both were landing on Venice on the same day. Uh, so it was kind of crazy. We were following each other. We were following each other on social media. So and I was hashtagging my trip so my parents would know that I was safe. <laughs> and where I was going to be. So when he saw that, he reached out and said, hey, like that's crazy. We should catch up. And so uh, we did. And he was traveling with his roommate at the time. And we just had uh, you know, a really great time all together. We developed more of a friendship. And then that kind of grew into a romantic relationship. But I also kind of wanted to test that and like make sure there as well that that was all good before starting to go down that path together. So we actually purchased our first place in 2019. And then basically from there, and I did have one remaining duplex from before. And then from there, everything else in our portfolio we built up in the last couple of years. So wow, it's okay. been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, wow, that is story. a wild ride. And that's, it's interesting because you, you, a lot of people when they get into it early, like, you know, you were looking at, at property prices at a lower price point yeah. and then you were out of the market. Then you, you know, you built, acquired some properties and you were out during a time when, you know, prices were escalating. And because you've already been in real estate, I know you had a lot going on, but you're probably watching, just seeing what's happening, just even casually. You're like, oh, geez, man. Like, it, you know, I kind of, maybe I should be playing in that a little bit. And a lot of investors because with who, who have bought at, at uh, um, lower prices have then when they come to higher prices they're like oh you know I just it doesn't make sense anymore like it doesn't work I'm getting you know? ripped off yeah this is like this is crazy like I can't believe I'm paying this much for the property but to your point like you know you're building it now and the numbers still work and the opportunity is still there kind of like what you were you were sharing earlier like there is yeah. a way uh, you just got to find the way to make it I work I bet Rebecca right? your background too just being so heavily into the numbers sure she could see past the purchase price and look at income and expenses perhaps yeah, I was just going to say that actually I, I just analyze cash flow for every property and that's actually how I make all my decisions because I just look at my ultimate goal is to just replace my active income with my passive income and and honestly I'm still happy in my tech job right now but it's more um, there have been periods where I haven't been as happy in my career um, you know, really, sorry, this is really dark, but I actually watched somebody commit suicide at work. <laughs> oh, so that was really scary. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've known a lot of people that want to be able to retire and can't. Um, so it's just, you know, that sense of the golden handcuffs. And I think just being like, I think ultimately what it comes down to for me is being afraid of not having control of my life, you know, because there's been different times in my life where I haven't had control. So for me, I don't want to have to rely on anything. But being able to build up a more, uh, like more portfolio, or sorry, more real estate in a portfolio with more passive income that allows for more flexibility, more freedom, more options. And now we're getting to the point of not just investing in real estate, like we are also investing in crypto, you'll be happy. Um, the financial markets after that big dip, you know, we picked up a bunch of, you know, anything that I have a bill for, you know, like TD and Bridge, I just, you know, I figured those companies aren't going anywhere anytime soon and we've done really well with stuff like that. Um, 
So in even insurance, you know, being able to just diversify a little bit more. So not just so much building up the passive income, but more protecting the wealth. Because actually when I, we've got two projects in Sudbury, uh, like four buildings in them. But when we, re- when we actually refinance the one project in Sudbury, it will, all of that passive income will cover all of our expenses. So I could actually retire which is unreal because I'm only, I literally just turned 31. So I'm very proud of that. You should be. But, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And that is something that you recently purchased over the last few years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, Can that's you huge. Yeah. That project a little bit. What, what are you up to yeah. there? So the, uh, there's two in separate the one that we just picked up the eight plex. So we're going to be doing the same thing with that. But the other one, the other one, sorry, was 25 units across three buildings. So basically just bought them privately. Um, I did put them on private money. So also, you know, again, not being afraid of, you know, you just never, Never expect things to go smoothly and private money often makes things go a little bit more smoothly and then being able to fix them up increase the rents i am gravitating more towards multi like larger multi-family just because i i like the the business model of it for lack of a better way of putting it it's kind of like um i it's more like it's more predictable as well that if the incomes are under performing you're able to go in and update the rents <clears throat> update the property get a higher valuation and it's just a little bit more controlled versus what i'm finding down here right now so basically that's all almost complete well two of the three buildings are complete and we're looking to refinance them but uh with- will you go from private money to a conventional lender yeah. at that point got it yeah. first national or do you know yet um, undecided I'm, yeah i'm evaluating either desjardins or cmls oh got it okay yeah. and then what what about um uh, if you're, you're, you're living, you don't live in Sudbury. Were you living in Sudbury at the time? No. Okay. No. So you're up there in Sudbury, you're investing in Sudbury. You're doing a bunch of work to these properties because you're redoing 25 units, was it? So you're yep. doing work there. So how did you then find the, the, the team or, you know, the crew to do the work for you? And then how, how did you manage that? Cause that's a lot of, that's a barrier for a lot of people when they're not right there. Right. Yeah. I, I think maybe this is an area where, um, I hate when people say that people are lucky, but I, I have had a bit of luck. I look for situations in my life. Like I really do believe in a bit of fate, I guess, um, you know, and in similar to the If stories. you met your fiance in <laughs> Venice, I Landing think you could, on the yeah, same I mean, day. I, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. fate is the right word for a lot of things going on. Fair enough. But you could have screwed up the meeting too. That's you true. You know, you could have yeah. gone there and you just made a for, complete yeah, there's ass enough. of yourself. That's, that's, that's true. That's where I would describe yeah. myself yeah. in certain situations. I'm just forwarding it to you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, for sure. That's, that could have been a, a plausible universe, but, um, so anyway, the point being is that I, Basically, there were a couple different things. So we actually live in Toronto ourselves, um, and our properties do scan from Niagara to Toronto and then up to Sudbury. Uh, basically, how that came about was I just I saw on I think it was Facebook I saw somebody posting about um, larger multifamily, and I was really interested in getting into that space. I actually had I was looking to um, understand how to attract J, like joint ventures JVs, and I was working with uh, Russell Westcott at the time, and. It just so happened that I, I saw this person. I ended up connecting with them. Um, his name is Zach, and basically said, "Hey, like if you have more of these types of properties, I'd be really interested in being, you know, made aware of them. Basically, if you have some kind of wholesale list or something like that." Um, we ended up connecting, and and it just 
just the way that he was talking about the market up there reminded me of exactly what I saw in Hamilton and the Niagara. And I joked that he was like, you know, Sudbury Rebecca, which he doesn't usually appreciate. But (laughs) um, so the long story short, and he actually was a coaching client of Russell at the time too. And it came up in our conversation. So that's what I mean that I kind of believe in a bit of faith. And like, I kind of look for these signals. Like you had to put yourself out there and you take your collective experiences, but um, he's actually our JV partner on that project and he's based there. So it's, uh, it's been a huge help. And then now that we understand the market better, you know, this, this last uh, project is actually with another partner, another JV, um, that we've built our own connections there and everything. So now I'm just starting to do that there. But I think for me, starting off in Hamilton, I did live there first, right? So that's having that experience in that market. My mom lives in Niagara on the Lake. So I had experience with the Niagara market also invested there. So I think after that point, once you kind of set up your system, it becomes the same thing. And I just get to focus on the numbers, right? And and like you said, I now nothing really surprises me. You know what I mean? And we have more liquid assets in case we need emergencies. But if something's not working, I just quickly fix it and move on to the other thing. It's it's kind of, and I, I found that I had that same mentality in tech and it's served me really well, right? That fail fast mentality, just go out and do it. And then you eventually get to the answer. You're, oh, go ahead, Nick. No, I was just gonna say that the, the skill set I like is, is, is like once, you know, what you were saying about what, investing i think what people take for granted with investing is that there's a number component and there's there's you know there's revenue and there's profit and that type of stuff but to your point what you're saying like once you go through it and it helps when you go through it yourself locally because you can you you understand what's involved you understand what people are looking for and then then the same principles apply and the same system that you set up with some minor changes you know depending on the yep. area you can then take from one place to another to another to do all this stuff and it makes it makes a big difference that way and i think that that's, you know, I, I really feel, I feel strongly about this, that it's something overlooked. Like real estate investing also helps you become a bigger person that can handle more, I feel. Yeah. And it's not just about like, yes, there is a, a, a profit component, 100%. But there's there's a, a personal development component that, that I think is just, it, it serves you so well for so long afterwards. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm really grateful for the experiences, to be honest. Um, I feel like... Where does that mindset come from? Sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting. But that you are an interesting case based on what Nick's saying there. Where do you think that mindset comes from? Because hearing a little bit about your background, I don't feel you got that growing up. Like you're saying things like you just have to put yourself out there. And that, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're using words that someone I would assume from maybe the way you were brought up, I wouldn't expect to hear. Where is this coming from? You have yeah. like this positive <laughs> mentality that I, I feel like it would be easy enough for you to have a very negative mentality. Yeah, so Tom's about. asking, why aren't you miserable? No, <laughs> yeah. no, no, I know what yeah, you're yeah, asking. Yeah, what's going on? But yeah, where, yeah. where did all yeah, this, where, that's a good point. Yeah, where did all where, this stuff come from for you? Um, I mean, to be honest, um, my, my mom suffers from bipolar. Um, so my dad actually had custody of us when we were growing up. Um, I think... And especially because back then it was just so different, you know, in the 90s. And uh, it was a, a lot of stigma. And she had a really hard time um, <clears throat> figuring out her medication. So I think just going through a lot of those experiences of her being in a manic high and uh, a lot of involvement with police, unfortunately, just, you know, and different services. So I think, um, and then to go through all that and then be on my own when I'm 17, uh, I think for me, I've, I've seen really dark times 
And for me as a kid, and again, you know, it's kind of funny just thinking about it, like in this call, really, that um, thinking about like having more control over my life, wanting something different, wanting to grow into the person that I want to be looking up to. And and really, I mean, actually, something I'm really grateful uh, grateful for in my tech career is being able to connect with people that had the kind of life that I would have dreamed of as a kid, you know, and being able to learn from them and, and, uh, you know, just kind of pushing myself through like, and just different people, you know, like I had one mentor that, uh, I really admire when I was at IBM the first time around, he's since retired, we're still connected, but, uh, just even how he encouraged me and especially just, you know, because all the self-learning being in tech and being able to like STEM for girls was a big passion of mine and being able to encourage other people to, uh, pursue those kind of paths as well, but just choosing to focus more on how can I do better? Like, how can I grow as a person? What can, and now that I, I feel very grateful for my life, to be honest, I'm, I'm very happy. I, you know, like I, it may, it might sound like BS to some people, you know, cause you're not supposed to say that you feel like your life is perfect, but I like my relationship is perfect. My life is, there's always ups and downs, there's challenges, there's, you know, stuff you have to deal with. But when I compare it to what I feel like I've come from, I'm just incredibly grateful. And because of that, I'm getting to a stage in my life now where I want to be able to give back to other people and teach other people so that they can help themselves out of those situations. Do, do you, th- thanks for sharing that. That's that's incredible. I, I'm just wondering, it, it it's almost like it feels sometimes like that's a competitive advantage in a way, and it's not it it's not one that you want to have yeah. to go through or that you <laughs> wish upon anyone. But sometimes you know because we've we've had numerous guests that have you know whether the immigrants and you know I mean like Arvin comes to mind. He was living in his basement and living off like two hundred bucks a month with his something. uncle snoring next to him. Yeah, or something like you know like it was like and it's just um it's just like it, when you have that driving factor it, you know it, it it forces you into some uncomfortable situations versus if you're in a comfortable situation it's harder maybe to force yourself out i don't know if that makes sense but it may, it maybe in some weird way that was that was kind of like an advantage in some ways because to, to be in the place you're at essentially building two real estate portfolios because you went through one kind of had to liquidate it and then a second time at 31 it's really impressive like you bust and you're doing a lot of the work yourself and stuff like that so you're very humble about it but it's obvious to be able to do that you've busted your ass while you're doing what you know full-time role graduating university all that stuff like you there's that component too like you obviously your you work like your work work ethic must be really solid to get to accomplish all that stuff as well i do appreciate that that's you know it's so funny you say it like that because i mean there are don't get me wrong like there are days where even if i i find that if i think back to things in the past that i'm not necessarily happy about or i wish i'd gone differently there's times it makes me sad especially because there's a lot of unresolved stuff mm-hmm. there right a lot of people that just couldn't apologize for things that happened um and it's it's easy to get like kind of sucked back to that and and you know dwell and I think for me, it's kind of funny because I do, I choose to look at it that way where it's like, you know what? Yeah, sometimes it sucked. You know, I was dealing with a lot of stuff, even when I was in high school, dealing with stuff that my friends could not understand, you know, like I, you were living on your own at 17 in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's, yeah, it's kind of funny because back then I actually used to, I used to smoke cigarettes. Um, and I, one of my friends used to give me a lot of grief about it, but I found that it was the only time cause I was just so in my head about stuff, but you can't just sit there like kind of being spaced out. People will look at you weird. Right. So being able to have a cigarette and just think about what my next plan was, 
um, really helped me through that. And and I guess uh, the point being is that at the end of the day now, I am grateful because I do find that the people, like the majority of people that I've met within Rockstar don't come from really lavish beginnings, right? They've had to work for it. And, uh, and I, I guess that's just, you know, it's just to show that, you know, to your listeners as well, because I'm reading all these articles recently and people get really bent out of shape over people being successful with their real estate portfolios, especially young people. You know, I read the comments and they're like, oh, like that person still has a job because they didn't manage this portfolio or they probably like came from like the bank of mommy and daddy. And it's like, you know what? I don't really know anybody like that. I find like to get, to really have that hunger and that drive, they've usually come from humble beginnings where there's been like some crap that's gone on. You have to eat on, shit. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you have to eat shit for yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, not always, yeah. but you're right. I, there's, more, there's definitely far Eventually. more that like yeah. the, the investors we've worked with there's far more of that yeah. Than, yeah. than there is the other yeah. way for sure yeah. yeah so it's you know and i think just having those lessons earlier and choosing to be more positive about it helps you deal with uh you know adversity that comes up in the in the future like through your real estate investing career because even at the end of the day it's really just money you know and if if i did have to start completely from scratch again i know that i know how to do it because mm-hmm. i've got the logic behind it right yeah there. you have the skills now and, and the mindset i just wanted to uh, say something you said it's not um you maybe it's not normal to say this but i feel like my life's perfect right now to me that tells me that you're living by a set of principles that you've decided for yourself for a few years now because if you le- live in your own integrity for a few years mm-hmm. life ends up kind of molding to shape around those principles perfectly Yep. And if you just do that day in and day out for a few years, we had a few people working with us. I don't want to say their names. Yeah, we lost that camera. Oh, okay. I can't fix it. Um, we had a few people working with us that, uh, you know, we're kind of on an up and down path in life. And we kind of sat them down and just said, hey, listen, you have to just live by a set of principles. You can decide what the principles are for you. But if you don't have any, try this one. Just always do the right thing in any situation. And try yep. that not for like a day, but try and do. And you're not going to be perfect at it. You'll always not like you're, you're not you're not a perfect person, right? By any means. None of us are. But try to do that for a month. Then try to do it for six months. Try to do it for a year. And that person we still work with today. And it's probably like eight years since we had that conversation. He had a few other conversations with people here that really kind of um molded him and uh he says that that just changed his life that living by a set of principles day in and day out as best as he could really made him think now his life's in such a better place yeah so for you to say that just means without even knowing you well (laughs) that you have a set of rules that you live by and you're trying your best to live in that integrity so kudos to you so that's where that's coming from so feel proud of saying that kind of stuff i'm guessing that's where that's coming from i wanted to know what does your portfolio look like to give everyone a description how much do you i don't that doesn't you don't have to share everything if you don't want to but just to give some context for anyone listening yeah um so we've got 41 units across eight properties um so and we've got one in st Catharines, one in stony creek two in toronto and then four in sudbury Got it. And the Toronto ones, if I had to guess, maybe condo rentals? So actually our own place, we we live in a duplex. So oh, awesome. we're still house hacking. And that's something else that I would suggest to people that, I, to be honest, we actually got the pre-approval to be able to live in the house ourselves, but I didn't really want to have you know a $4,600 mortgage <laughs> plus expenses on top of that. So we're house hacking. Uh, we actually live in the smaller unit, uh, main floor and basement, but it suits us just fine. Very happy with the location and the space that we have. And then um, actually kind of going back to the Toronto condo market softening, I was able to help my sister get her first place. So that's a joint venture with her as well. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay, and then um, why did, did the private money not scare you? Most people will look at the interest rate you're paying on private money because it's gonna be a lot higher than conventional yep. financing. Why did that not scare you? 
uh, the numbers. <laughs> so I just, I have uh, for the more, like for the bigger kind of commercial multifamily spaces, I do Keith's have- Keith's gonna come um, and try to do some live camera fixes for us. Okay, great. Um, so I, I do have a much larger kind of monster spreadsheet for those bigger projects. And I basically look at the full picture of the cost of acquisition to get the property and then the um, after repair value. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, because eventually you get tapped out, right? That your your personal income ratios will only go so far, especially as you're getting rental properties because they, the banks will only take 50% of your rental income. So for me, that's, and honestly, that's a big frustration for me because I, I pay, you know, 100%. Oh, you let that frustration out. Great, you're one of us. Yeah, you go. Every time I walk into the bank. You want to share. Yeah, if I have an appointment with the bank, like, you know, like an actual personal bank or for something, I'm just like, oh, what's going to, the house is going to go down now, right? So. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny because I was watching your broadcast yesterday and you were talking about uh, like the savings plan that they had suggested for you. And I agree. I like, you know, I've, I've known really great people to work at the bank, so it's nothing personal against any individual, but I've also had some really bad experiences where, um, even going back to when I when I first owned my property, and for me, obviously, that was a really big deal. Um, basically, I had to get a direct deposit form for my new mortgage, and the teller was asking me, uh, or I needed a void check, and she was asking yeah. me why I didn't just like print the the direct deposit form. And I was like, well, why are you asking? She's like, well, isn't this for a landlord for rent? And I, I was actually pretty offended. And I just kind of sat back. I was like, what makes you think that I'm renting? And she looked back at my bank account again. She's like, oh, well, there's multiple and like rental payments. Yeah, I'm the landlord. <laughs> I need this for my mortgage. You know, great. Rebecca fits right in here. Yeah, you you you, you tell the banks what you want to. <laughs> hey, I just want to circle. Keith, if it doesn't work, we'll live without it. That's fine. I just want to circle back to the, the the kind of personal development stuff for a second because I know you shared everything you've been been through. Was there any like? were you reading any books or anything that kind of changed your outlook at that time? Like, was that just kind of like self-reflection that changed your outlook on that stuff? Or because I know for, for us, we've, you know, through different paths, we've all come across different people. I mean, we shared the story that Tony Robbins was playing in our house. Our mom had it cranked like personal power. I'd walk back in from playing street hockey with my friends and I was coming into Tony Robbins house in the house mm-hmm. uh, voice. Was did anything like that kind of, did you go through that phase or was it just yourself? I, it's both. You know, I, I think I'm I'm the kind of person that I do reflect a lot. In fact, I probably overthink about stuff, to be honest. Um, I do like to talk to other That's, people. That means you smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot the cigarettes. I'm like, you're going to say yeah. you smoked a lot of weed or something? No. Like, I didn't know right. what was coming out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only, uh, only when I was in high school, funny enough, and then I had pretty much quit as soon as I got to university. But um, yeah, just I guess I got more comfortable spending time on my own which is kind of funny, but yeah, I've always been a big thinker, self-reflector. I also really, you know, again, kind of going back to like the data scientist mindset, um, when you when you have those kinds of models, when you're trying to build predictive models, it's really just as good as the data that you have. And so I kind of have that view that, um, and even at the time in going through school, I was working on economics research. So you, you recognize pretty early on that you don't have all the data. So it's kind of like that same view of life, right? That we don't oh, have all the data. So I realize, and that's kind of my main goal of life is to try to learn as much as I possibly can to really understand what life is about. So, that, you know. that That's really interesting. Yeah, because, you know, you've heard us say information advantage. That's the way we look at it for ourselves. We're like, well, as soon as we don't understand something, we have to go get 
some yeah. information so that we can understand it so that we can base our decision of some form of knowledge. Maybe it's a tiny bit, but that tiny bit is more than the zero that we had before. Yeah. So it seems similar. Like you, you needed proper input to like from the data scientist mind. I don't know if this is right, by the way. I'm yeah. far from a data scientist. But you needed proper input to put into the equation to then make the decision yeah. or, or you can't make the decision because everything's kind of blank fields. Yeah. You're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get <laughs> into a career that? lined up? How did you get into that career? So you graduate yeah. and then what happens? So yeah, that's, and I, just to go back to that point super quick. So, um, and there's different buckets of that, right? There's also, if you, if you know what you don't know, you've, I've been able to talk to people. I've had mentors. I, you know, we have Google, uh, but also just from reading books, you know, cause then the, I find that that fills in the gaps for the stuff that you don't know, you don't know, mm. you know? So that's been a huge help, especially as I'm getting older. And I, I kind of lean a little bit more on that. Um, in terms of how I got my career, that again, it's just you kind of putting yourself out there, and I do believe in a bit of fate. But um, basically, at the time, I in my last year of university, I went to this grad info session for Bell, and they were talking about business intelligence, and it seemed that they were gearing it more towards the engineering students and the computer science students. But at the same time, when I I actually caught up with one of the VPs after, and I was asking her more questions about the program and what they do there. And it sounded like exactly like what I was doing with my economics research. So I thought, well, I could do this too. But um, so I decided to apply. And then at the time I saw on uh, on the requirements that they really wanted somebody with a math or engineering background. So I felt that I could, you know, kind of explain, I logic my way out of how I have all the skills that they're looking for. But the one piece that I was definitely missing was telecommunications experience. So I ended up uh, applying to all the telcos in their in their sales centers, like the, the cell phone kiosks to get a job there. And I got a job with Virgin Mobile. And thankfully, and I was terrified to be honest, because like I used to joke that I was always in these research labs and uh, I had to have like a key to get in and out. You know, like I, I was good in like my little hobbit hole of data. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really, I was like, oh my God, could I really be a salesperson? Um, and I, you know, they gave us training and I had a great team and I figured it out. And actually, honestly, I think that was one of my favorite jobs. I had an awesome team back then and you guys are probably gonna laugh at this, but um, I'm very, I'm a very mechanical person, right? Like I'm a creature of habit and I would always kind of, I went through basically the training that they gave me almost verbatim every single time whenever I was helping somebody find a phone. So they uh, came up with the clever nickname, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you had your sales script. Yeah. Listen, yeah. in what? sales, I've been in sales a long time. We come up with scripts all the time and no yeah. one uses them, but you're one of the very few people. <laughs> but they're there for a reason yeah, because they, yeah. they generally they work. They work. There's yeah, some yeah. predictable results there, right? You say these right? things and you'll likely get this result, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it did work. So I ended up uh, also having to go through the interviews for the BI role in parallel. But by the time they decided to hire me, I had a really good recommendation from the people I was working with as well, right? So then uh, I ended up getting that role and I got to start as soon as I graduated. And that's where you are now? No, I actually, from from Bell, I uh, was headhunted to IBM, then jumped over to Microsoft and now I'm back at IBM. Okay. I was going to say, like, you just you think she's just stayed at one place, like just with everything she's done. I mean, yeah. it's almost an insult, yeah, Tom. Yeah, she I'm ran the numbers and said, I'll go over there. Yeah, no, I get it. And, <laughs> and so, software too, which is funny because I don't, you, you know, you were in that world longer than I was, but it's the funny that you've kind of made the rounds and you're back to where you started, yeah. which yeah. seems that like common, right? Yeah, yeah. that yeah. happens a lot. And, uh, and then did I hear you say you taught yourself to code? Yeah. So what do you, what, how did that go down? You were just in the role in this career yeah. and decided to get the data I need to get. I have to understand code or I'm actually going to write some code. Yeah, that was actually kind of funny too. Um, so 
At the time, there was a professor, uh, actually kind of funny because her, her name is Dr. Payne. Uh, she's, a, she's a sweetheart. I have a lot of respect for her. But uh, she was looking for a research assistant. I was actually in my first year of school at the time. And I had actually started off in health science. And I didn't. Uh, there was some stuff, like family stuff at the beginning of the year. So I didn't have the greatest average. I had actually decided to switch into, or I was considering switching into economics in my second semester. And, uh, and I knew some upper year students. And she was looking for a research assistant. So I applied for the role. She was offering a lot more for the research role compared to like minimum wage that I was making. I think it was close to $25 an hour. But then the funny thing was that for her, I knew that for grad students, they were making $40 an hour. And it's on contract, right? So it's, it kind of set amounts, but still like way more than what I was going to be making. So I went to meet with her. And the only thing I really remember from the interview uh, was selling her on the fact that I was going to be a lot cheaper than the grad students. And if she actually liked me, then I was going to be a lot cheaper that she could keep me on for the four years. And I was willing to put in the work to learn the the code, basically. Um, and I thankfully was doing well in my economics courses at the time. So I had some something behind that. And she decided it was kind of funny because I think she was a little bit shocked that I said that. But she stood up. She's like, could you give me a moment? And she ran down the hallway and she's talked to another professor because there was someone else that she liked that came in. But it just so happened, like it worked out that she could take the other student and then I could work with her and her lab and uh and I did a great job and like and again I just necessity out of needing the money and you know from like being able to pay for my life and keep saving so I just learned it and thankfully I had uh, I had an aptitude for it I could understand the logic behind it I put in the time and the effort what language were you coding and what do they do these days yeah, so at the time I was working with a program called Stata. So there is like this kind of in-house language, um, like our domain-specific language, DSL. Um, and then from there, I also, they had SAS in the other lab because I ended up starting to take on other projects for other professors as well. And then ended up doing my own research. So that was, that was pretty cool in itself. Um, but I, I worked with R, I worked with SBSS, I worked with SAS, and you code often with SQL and SAS. So I could also lean on that for the BI role, which was primarily working with SAS and SQL. And then um, going over to IBM, I worked with a whole bunch of products for them. I'm not coding as much now because it's more just notebooks that you're pulling in and kind of more showing how to use the tools and like lighter weight uh, proof of concepts. But Because um, your role now is what exactly? So it's technically in technical sales, uh, but I focus on our data science portfolio. So in, like whereas I used to be the person delivering those projects at Bell, now those are kind of like my clients that I would go in there and I would understand what their problem is, like a fraud model, for example. And I'd say, okay, um, you know, usually we have the data ourselves that we can show them what it would look like. If they don't have the data, like if they can share some, it's great. And then I can kind of build in a model to give them an idea of what it would look like. And then that would be so that um, they can test out the software basically before implementing it for themselves at their own. I love those roles because so you yeah, don't actually fun. have to do the project. That's yeah. why I yeah. love those yeah. roles. Like here's <laughs> everything you could do. Now, good yeah. luck. I'm not saying you do that, but I just mean oh, that's, no, that was my past life. I was like, look at all these bells and whistles here and here you go. And the yeah. implementation team comes and is like, oh, damn, yeah. you promised yeah. what? Yeah. Yeah. But, and you get to always play with the latest stuff. Yeah. Which is that you yeah. get a, the latest release of software and you're always getting the latest training. So it's a cool role. And, yeah. and to your point, it was, to be fair, it was a lot easier, right? Because they spent years of research and delivery where there's always something goes wrong you know like even this morning you know with tech and uh yeah and so many dumpster fires that for me it's funny because again i was a little bit afraid like i was actually had or head hunted 
from LinkedIn. And, uh, and when she mentioned it was technical sales, I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to do that because I was really scared about the upside of the commission. I'm like, is that actually going to be there? And, um, but then actually giving, I decided to give it a shot because they basically matched my total salary and my base salary. So at that point there was virtually no risk. And then uh, I loved it because it was way easier. Like even yeah, you the, say you're not a salesperson, but hearing your story, you've been selling your whole, the whole life. Time. Like yeah. your whole yeah. store here is selling, but you're like not, you're yeah. saying you're not a natural salesperson. I think you're a person. great salesperson yeah. because you, you can combine it with the knowledge on the back of that. Like you're the selling best, the banker, you're selling that professor, yeah. you're selling yeah. everybody But here. the best salespeople, like there's salespeople that can just, like they try to just sell and they can be very good at it because they're, they, they have some sales skills, but the people that combine sales skills and then the knowledge behind it, that's like, you know, that, that separates them. It's why when, when you moved over, when Ruben came to you and said, and kind of offered you to come over to, to the sales, sales side yeah. was because you were doing that. Cause like, I could talk to the CIOs directly yeah. because now I went to, I went from t- technical sales support. Like a, it was a, called a sales consultant. That's, that was the role. Yeah and to straight sales, I could get on the phone with the CIO in some of yep. these financial companies in Chicago that we were selling into out of Toronto. And I could just skip all the demos because I could talk to the CIO directly and we could skip everything and get a deal done. It was brilliant. Yeah, but you can go, you can do the sales side or the tech side. It's like the way you can speak in this role, I would imagine you it would be very similar. Yep. You can speak to the tech guys, you can speak to the business guys. You understand the numbers from just looking at business numbers from the real estate stuff, you, you've, you've, you're into that. Like you get it, you understand it and you understand the tech stuff. It, it, what yeah. we're trying to tell you you should go into straight sales next that's what we're trying to tell you i'm not telling trying to tell you anything (laughs) that's the next growth path um okay so what next for you now so the youtube channel start you mentioned you did a youtube um episode right when covid was kind of breaking out about the housing market yep and i think you're gonna have a knack for this stuff just with the way you analyze data the way you present yourself how articulate you are i really think that's going to be a great avenue for you to kind of pursue a different angle of the real estate investing you know as opposed to actually doing stuff with the properties to sharing some of this information. Yep. So what are some of the videos that what you want to put out next? What are your, some of your favorite videos that you've put out so far? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, after that video was successful, I decided to actually create a YouTube channel called Five to Nine Real Estate. So the the inverse of nine to five because I have a nine to five. I'm doing this in my five to nine. <laughs> Very clever. That's good. Um, That's actually Paul good, actually yeah. came up with the name. I can't take credit for that. Good job, Paul. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name. It's a good name. Um, but yeah, so so far there is just I, I really just wanted to create. Um, Kind of a how-to guide so that if people wanted to dabble and they wanted to understand um, how to pursue that path i wanted to put that out there so that you know i think part of it as well to be honest was that um black lives matter matters came up at around the same time it was like not around the same time but like you know what i mean like it's it became very prevalent yeah it was right stage. in the media it hit yeah. peak media right around that time yeah and and i think uh, the one thing that i thought was really interesting and in all that because i you know if i may I think I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder for that because of my background. I'm like, you know what? Like I, I want to tell people that you, I know it's hard, right? But to your point, it works out in the end because you do have, you have a different approach and you're able to push through challenges because you, you've been trained on how to handle them. Right. And, uh, and somebody actually kind of set me straight on that and said, you know, there's studies that have shown that people that come from certain, and this is more in the States because they just have more data readily available, but people that come from certain postal codes are a lot less likely to be successful in life because of just like the people that they surround themselves with and the support that they get in the community because of those types of challenges that are really prevalent in the States. Um, and it made me realize that 
if you don't know that that stuff's out there, there's no chance for those types of people to be able to move forward. So for me, that's that was my biggest motivation for wanting to create this. Um, and so, yeah, I just started sharing about how do you even get a mortgage? What's involved with that? Um, how do you how do you make sure that you're successful? Like, how do you set up your right team? Um, one that I'm actually really proud of, and, and actually funny enough, also has the most views was um, with the the federal house the federal election, the housing platforms that came out. I do have a specific view. I do I do focus more on who's actually offering the best platform. But, uh, you know, I do seem to lean one way, but I didn't want that to come through in the video because I don't want anyone to challenge that. And I'm like, listen, I just want you guys to have this information because I know that. Wow. You still have faith in politicians. Oh, God, God. No. Wow. No, 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 amazing. no. Faith in the voters. Oh, oh voters. OK, got it. Got yeah. It. So that they can get the information. That they, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just you're lining someone else's pockets, depending on the party that you yeah, choose. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which pockets <laughs> do you want to line yeah. this time? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I just like the, you know, you guys touched on this yesterday with your broadcast that <clears throat> It, there's a disconnect. Like there's a whole other, that could be another episode, right? There's a whole other slew of issues there. But I wanted people, I, I felt that it was an opportunity to actually reflect on what they're actually suggesting and for people to actually understand like what's going to be effective. So it's like, I think it's like a 40 minute video and it's probably my most casual video to be honest because it was, I think the hottest day of the summer. I'm sitting in my house. I don't actually have AC. So I'm wearing like this little tank top and I'm sweating. I'm like, okay guys, like I'm just going to break this down for you. This is how this is going down, you know? And, uh, and I got the most positive feedback back on that because people are like wow you actually took the time to relay all this information to give your thoughts in terms of like what you thought was going to be successful and and I think a bit out of frustration because I do feel like we're kind of villainized now you know and it's it's frustrating for me because it's like I've you're an interesting <laughs> age because we've been telling rock star members for a long time hey you're about to become the villain like you might yeah. have gone into real estate to protect your family's purchasing power maybe yeah. that's why you got in because you thought oh real estate's being monetized because of our monetary policy here rightly or wrongly real estate's being monetized yeah and you're getting in to protect your family's purchasing power, but then now you're going to be vilified yeah. as one of the investors that are causing real estate prices to go up here. And it's a symptom, not the cause. And it just so yeah. bothers me when I see the media focus on that. But you're an interesting case because at 31, I've always expected that kind of for people maybe in their 40s as you grow the portfolio <laughs> and stuff, but you're hitting that early. Yeah. And and uh, we mentioned that to, uh, to VIP members here probably like three or four years ago that get ready in about four or five years and then for the next decade you will be the villain mm -hmm. so i don't yeah. think this is something that's going away yeah. we're just gonna have to learn to live with it help other people yeah. learn about money and investing as you are and educate yep because otherwise yeah everyone's just like that bank teller kind of thought you know kind of looked at you with a certain context yeah i think people <laughs> you're going to tell people you're an investor and they're immediately going to judge you on a whole bunch of issues no it's already yep. like you said earlier it's started. Too, it's 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 it's, it's here it's here now you yeah. see in the media yeah. it's, it's the greedy investors yeah you know i, I still th i still don't think it's it's that big of an issue like it'll be it'll be interesting to see once they change the mortgages and stuff like that yeah. i don't think it's gonna have a major impact it'll be really uh, like we'll see time will tell mm -hmm. right but but emotion like you know as far as like who to point the finger at for the problem it's an easy scapegoat right now for sure because they either point the point it at themselves or they point it at the greedy investors yeah and, right? and i say greedy like kind of in quotes like i don't oh, mean yeah. that to anyone mm -hmm. listening right no, I, I yeah, I definitely get that. Well, look, you you but you're not a greedy investor, so yeah, there's profit to be made. But you took a, a it sounds like a, a apartments in Sudbury that weren't great places to live. Yeah, and you made them nice places to live for people, like yeah. a lot nicer. So you're providing good 
affordable housing units because you're, yes. you're, you're doing these rental housing units, a, a, a gap that the a, a government has talked about filling forever. And it's obvious they're just completely incompetent and not able to do that on, on that, yeah. in that side of things for sure. So you're providing how, good housing uh, how to many people, people that you're do updating. we know in Hamilton taking really beat down properties in Hamilton, yeah. making beautiful second suites, legal yeah. second suites, beautiful for Which people is to an, live in. Another affordable housing unit. I mean, look, I know rents have gone up, but if someone can't afford to, to rent a whole house, but if can they live in a low-rise house, yeah. right? And they're able to live in one level of it for uh, for half the or whatever percentage of the price, it, it's worth it to them. So yeah, that that component of it is left out of the story for sure. Yeah, for sure. And and that's you know I know you've you've talked about this in other sessions in the past as well, but it is actually a global problem because of our world population. And that's uh, you know in other parts of the world, it's not uncommon that people live like multiple families or multiple even generations within a single family live in one single house you know i have uh, i have friends from pakistan and they were saying that yeah like you've got you know like four different levels and it's four different generations oh yeah you know? the population density in other countries it's yeah. it, it makes us look like a joke you know you, so it's not unreasonable to expect that's going to come here too yeah. right and so many people do want the single full house but you know if there's not the supply where are people going to live right and that's that's exactly it like that's and that's why i'm really proud of that video because i was able to actually start to address some of those problems cool. and saying that listen, YouTube like comments to- can be the nastiest comments of all yeah. media so be careful when you review yeah. your YouTube comments if I ever accidentally look at them which I try not to look at YouTube specifically I try not to look at yeah. it's almost like I'm peeking between my fingers <laughs> I can kind of scroll like oh my gosh what's happening here yeah right? so be careful on that be prepared I do you know? appreciate that because I think as I was a kid and like when I was younger I was a little bit more of a people pleaser to be honest and then as I was getting older it took me a long time to really just be confident in myself and comfortable with myself and even probably just in like the last five years, to be honest, I've really just started to focus on, I just want the people that make me feel good or like I can learn from in my life. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I don't need to be friends with everybody. I don't need to, you know, it's okay if I rub some people the wrong way. And I'm, I'm open to being challenged because if there's a new learning opportunity for me, great. But at the end of the day, like I, I really feel confident behind what I'm doing with YouTube and like being able to reach the people that can use it. You know what I mean? So for me, that's a bigger Awesome. Pull. Do you have a schedule right now that releasing videos or when an idea comes up, you just kind of get when you get to it, you get to it. Where are you at with that? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I'm still trying to figure that out, to be honest, because when I first started, I was like, oh, this is pretty like at the time, the the easier ones were in the beginning of like, how do you get started? Right. Um, so at the beginning, I was able to do it more on a whim. And then uh, we were actually editing ourselves as well. But then it just became a little bit too time consuming. So we have actually outsourced that now. And then in the summer, really, I started to actually plan it more. So so I'm starting, I'm trying to stick to that more, but I am finding that it's, uh, it's, it is a lot of work to be honest. I want to be mindful and especially cause I'm trying to think in terms of once people have this information, what would be a natural follow-up video? Like how can I actually create guides to, you know, help them? Don't forget to share some of your life stories. I, I don't know in your videos if you are, but you're very numbers driven, which is excellent. Your analysis I'm sure is going to be top notch in those videos, but don't be scared to share some of what you've gone through in life. And, um, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that and it'll help motivate them to, that they can also accomplish what you've accomplished. So I, I don't know if you're doing that already, maybe you are, but don't minimize the value of that because I think if people understand your background and then you show them what you've been able to accomplish, it gives this framework that, wow, I can plug into something like that for my own life. 
So, and it might give you more things to discuss that I think someone like you who's so numbers driven, you might dismiss. Like, I'm not going to share that about what I, you know, when I was, what I was doing in high school at 17 and the way I was thinking back then, because I'm just going to stick to the facts on real estate. But there is value in marrying those two things together. I <clears throat> I really appreciate that. You know, honestly, I, I actually have had that feedback from one other person before, and it's something I've been thinking about. And you're you pegged me pretty well. <laughs> like it's, um, you know, my my family have always been more conservative, and you don't like air your dirty laundry, so to speak. And uh, and I used to think that any like even even admitting that I went through a divorce, like I used to be really embarrassed about that, right? And um, and now it's like you know what. It happened. There was lessons learned from that. I think I grew from that as a person. I recognize that it's a lot more common these days. You know what I mean? So being able to share that and, and talk more from the perspective of, you know, not to be cheesy, but being like a phoenix rising from the ashes, but becoming a better version of myself is actually a positive thing. And, you know, I, I agree, like being able to share that is something that I'm, I really appreciate you saying to me, and I'm going to implement that for this year. I, and it, it's coming from two places. It's the marketer in us is it saying that because we know it resonates with an audience. So your audience is going to appreciate it. Um, so it's from that angle, but it also make the message a little deeper because you mentioned something early on that you kind of, you have all these great mentors. You ran into JD and uh, Russell Westcott, you mentioned, yep. and, and um, you know, you mentioned something I think about people at Rockstar, nobody comes from like these really like deep pockets. Everyone kind of has this grassroots beginning. Yep. And you must know that from us because of stories. Yeah, true. If if we just shared the numbers on real estate, you wouldn't share those words, yeah. right? So you know that from the stories we've shared. And that resonated with you in some capacity because you repeated that back to us. Yep. So don't discount that as you're building this out for yourself, right? It's really valuable. I mean, it's your channel. Do as you please, of yeah. course. <laughs> it's your channel. That's there just you me go. with the market Ordering people around No, no, again. it's just like, just like I, I, I grew the, up with them my whole no, life. Yeah. Oh, no, I see the potential. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much here. But yeah, Hey, of course, Nick, you know what gonna... I think you should really do? Yeah. You, yeah. Should, uh, you should run upstairs and um, go your, get me this. The channel's uh, perfect my... as it is. <laughs> what you're doing is great. Just keep going. No, no, I know you guys are teasing each other, but it's I have a sister too so I get it but um you know I, I do appreciate that and I, I appreciate that I actually learned something on this on the podcast episode because I didn't really expect that <laughs> yeah. um so if you reflect back on someone starting out if you had to if somehow the 17 year old Rebecca could hear this episode someone similar to you Oof. I don't know what would you share to them I know it's tough but what would you share to that person is it something simple like just you know keep going or I don't know is there anything you could say that would have resonated with that? That's probably tough. It but is, what comes yeah. to mind? Um, or the 21-year-old Rebecca. doesn't have to be the 70, because there's different stages, right? The 24-year-old. Yeah. yeah, I think, um, to be honest, okay, like, again, like maybe a little bit dark, but again, there were, there were specific ages when I was growing up that I uh, was supposed to make certain decisions about like who I was going to live with or like what my situation was going to be. And, and whenever something was a little bit tough... Um, I, for me, I just always looked at, okay, like, you know, the first one was when I'm 12, this could happen, or when I'm 13, this could happen, or when I'm 15, this could happen. And so I think even at an early age, I was just always looking to the future. And so I think even my 17-year-old self, to be honest, I think I've, I felt that I was going to get there eventually. I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't know how. So I, I think that for me, I've always had that vision of just looking forward because that's, that's still unwritten, you know, like that you have control over that. And that's what I would say to other people that, you know, if, if someone else is listening to this and if if there's anything in your life that you're not happy with, 
at the end of the day, like you still have control. Like you can't control what's happened in the past. It's already happened, but you can learn from that. And, you know, like <laughs> even going through the divorce, right? It was a really, like I, I was the one that left and that was really tough to call, like, you know, to make that call. And it was really expensive to go through it. And it just got to the point for me that I was like, this isn't, this isn't working. I'm not happy. So I need to change it, you know, and I, there's consequences. There's always stuff that you have to go through, but it's your own journal, you know, it's your own story. And that's what I'd say to other people that, you know, um, I don't know, just when you said, just keep going, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, uh, Finding Nemo and Dory, like just keep swinging, you know, <laughs> kind of like that. You just, you know, you have your plan. And if you don't know how to get there, rely on people, like talk to people in your circle that you trust, you know, uh, research online, listen to stuff like this, uh, whatever you need to get yourself back in the mode of like, I just need to keep moving forward and taking that first step. But really just that, you know, just get started, keep taking steps and, and uh, you know, you'll eventually get there. And, and more than that, I think you'll find that when you get there, you something else presents itself you know I didn't actually just stay on the straight line like I did kind of go like this right so there's times that I had more acceleration than I was expecting and new dreams have come up you know so I've, I've got more goals and I think that's just that's kind of life you know awesome Rebecca you're an inspiring story thank 100%. you so much for sharing all this stuff I mean we really you. appreciate you didn't have to come here and do this um, so thank you someone's gonna listen to this and really take a lot I mean we did so definitely someone else is gonna listen to this and take a lot away from it so really really appreciate what you've done and the YouTube channel is five to nine real estate yeah I forgot it now five yeah. to, I just remembered the five to nine part I, five yeah. to nine stuck in my brain five to nine real estate um, yeah. we'll put a link to that YouTube channel in the show notes of this episode so wherever you're listening to this if you track down the show notes you'll find the link to that and anywhere else to find you or is that the primary place the YouTube channel that's probably the primary place um, I do yeah that's honestly that's probably the easiest I've got social media as well but different like handles for that so I'll just the YouTube is the best place to start and uh, that's where everybody can see me I'm I took your entrepreneur summit and I know that I need to start getting into podcasts as well so hopefully that's the plan for this year to build it out a little bit more but yeah yeah cool thanks Rebecca appreciate this I can't Thank believe you. that we had someone on here with an economics degree and you didn't ask them about inflation so that's that's great that's, <laughs> no, that's you know for another time I know Rebecca gets it I, just, I was waiting I'm like hey listen I know Rebecca works. gets it three questions in you just know she gets it I don't have to it's when someone doesn't get it I have to kind of ask them a little bit like hey what do you think about this stuff she gets it she's on board she's on board thanks thanks Rebecca back. yeah Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Rebecca. You can learn more about Rebecca and what she's up to on the real estate investing front at five. So the number five, five to nine. So it's five T-O and the number nine, five to nine dot C-A. From that website, she has a link to her, her growing YouTube channel as well. So you can check out the videos that she's putting together. And the URL again is five, the number five, T zero, T zero. Can't, I can't do this properly. 5TO9. So 529.ca. That's the URL to find out some of the, the, the information. Now I'm tripping all over myself. Some of the information that Rebecca is putting out um, on videos and about her real estate investing journey. You can find it all there. There. We did, we did it. And thanks again, Rebecca, if you're listening for doing this particular episode. And if you are listening to this and you want some population data on what's going on in Canada and in the Ontario area that definitely affects all of our real estate investing, you can get the latest copy of our report, the Population Explosion Report, updated for 2022 at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. 